Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 2:18 and Hebrews 10:24 through 25. The Lord God said, "It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him." And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to our fourth virtual service. Uh, believe it or not, this also means that we're heading into our fourth week of being quarantined. And so it's very possible that you're not only still processing a lot of your old emotions and feelings, but a new wave of emotions and feelings are going to come crashing down on you that you're going to have to process as well. And it's for those reasons that we're doing a new series about our quarantine life that we are entitling What to Do When I Feel Dot, Dot, Dot. And so last week we took a look at uh, anxiety and worry. And for this week, we're going to be taking a look at loneliness. And the reason why we're going to be taking a look at loneliness is because long before COVID-19 ever swept through our city and world, there was already another pandemic that was sweeping through our city and world. And that pandemic was loneliness. Uh, and so what we are concurrently experiencing right now is not just one pandemic, but we are simultaneously experiencing two pandemics. And COVID-19 has the power to intensify uh, this pandemic of loneliness. And so it's very possible that even though you don't consider yourself a very lonely person, you're very social, it's very possible that even for you heading into week four, your, your levels of claustrophobia and cabin fever have gone up in addition to your feelings of isolation and loneliness. Uh, in 2018, there was an extensive study done by Cigna where they uh, studied 20,000 Americans. And what they sadly discovered is that almost half of Americans say that they almost always feel lonely and left out. And that number was even higher for the Gen Z and millennial demographic. That same study showed that uh, loneliness has the uh, impact on our health uh, has the same impact as smoking 15 cigarettes per day and obesity. And so uh, loneliness is a major, major pandemic. And if I can speak personally for myself, I know loneliness as well. Um, as a kid, I grew up moving around from city to city and school to school. And so I was always the new kid on the block. Uh, after I graduated from college, I moved halfway across the world to another country uh, where I was completely removed from my community, the only community that I really knew. And uh, after that, I moved uh, to the other side of the country, to the West Coast for another 10 years, where again, I was removed from my community. And um, uh, I also was married later on in my life. And while that shouldn't be a reason for you to experience loneliness, it often can be a reason why you do experience loneliness. And so I'm also familiar with loneliness as well. And, you know, surprisingly, if you talk to even the most extroverted socialites that you know of, they will also say that they experience loneliness. And so here's the question. Why does loneliness feel like more of the norm 
than the exception. And so I want to give us one good, one good reason, believe it or not, that we feel lonely. And I want to give us a few bad reasons why we feel lonely as well. Here's one good reason why we feel lonely. If you read with me Genesis 2, 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, this is going to be mind-blowing for a lot of you, but believe it or not, Genesis 3 is after Genesis 2. And what we read about in Genesis 3 is the introduction of sin. That means in Genesis 2, there is no sin at all. And yet when we look at Genesis 2, God looks at paradise. And what's so striking to me about this is that he looks at paradise and he still sees one negative thing about it. It's still incomplete. And it's because Adam is alone and isolated and lonely. And so what that means then is that our, the loneliness that we experience is not a sin, nor is it the result of sin. Rather, the loneliness that we experience is a result of the way that God made us. And when God made Adam, he put an ache in his heart for relationships and for community. That Adam was never meant to live isolated and alone on an island by himself. And that's a good thing. We're made for community. And the reason for that is because Adam is made in the image of God. And what is God? God is three persons. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And within the triune Godhead, God has perfect community and fellowship within himself. And so the reason why God made us then was not because he was bored and lonely. Again, he already had perfect community. Rather, the reason why God made us is out of the overflow of his love, out of the overflow of that perfect community and fellowship. Similarly, when uh, a husband and wife, when they have kids, hopefully it's not because they're lonely and bored, uh, but hopefully the reason why they have kids is out of the overflow of their love. And the reason why God made uh, Adam and Eve uh, is because of that love. And when he makes Adam, Adam in and of himself doesn't constitute the image of God. When he makes Eve, Eve in and of herself doesn't constitute the image of God. It's only together as two people, two persons, that they constitute the image of God, who is three persons. And so God makes us in his image uh, for, for that community and that sense of uh, connection. And what that means then is that the greatest need that we all have, the greatest human need then, isn't for food, water, or shelter. Rather, the greatest need that humans have, the greatest need that we have, is simply to belong. Uh, that we are called to be connected to one another. And that's not a bad thing, but that's actually a really, really good thing. Now, here are some bad reasons why um, we feel lonely. Uh, for starters, there are sociological reasons. Uh, we live in a super, super hyper-mobile society. And so as soon as you befriend someone, they're gone just like that and they've already moved to another city or to another part of the world. Uh, there are economic reasons why uh, we don't have uh, the friends that we want. Uh, a lot of us, we view uh, relationships very transactionally and we view people as commodities. And so if the cost of being in a relationship with you is too high, then I'm not going to commit to you. But there's another reason why we're so terrible at friendship and community and 
why we experience loneliness. And it's a reason that you may not have thought of before, uh, but the reason why a lot of us experience loneliness is because we would rather be loved than known. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, Erin Davis wrote a book called Connected. And in chapter three of that book, she makes a comparison between Whitney Houston and Marilyn Monroe. And so when we think about Whitney Houston and Marilyn Monroe, probably the first thing that we think about is the fact that they uh, experienced tragic deaths. But there, there are other similarities. Uh, they were also both uh, public figures with secrets in their private lives. Uh, and additionally, they were both loved by millions and millions of people. And yet, even though they were loved by millions of people, you can make a case that they were not fully known by even one person. So Whitney Houston, for example, uh, her career spanned over three decades, sold over 200 million albums, and yet she tragically died alone in a hotel bathtub. Uh, Marilyn Monroe, equally loved by millions and millions of people, and yet she too died alone in her bedroom where she was discovered by her maid. And Davis goes on to say that if she were a betting person, she would bet that if they could do their life over again, and they could choose between being loved by millions of people versus being known by fully known by one person, they would choose the latter and not the former. And I can't help but feel like oftentimes we hang our hopes on the wrong hook as well. Rather than wanting to be fully known, we would rather, be, we would rather prefer to be loved by millions and millions of people. And yet being fully known, the reason why I mentioned this, being fully known, that is the cure to our loneliness. When someone really, really knows what we're like and who we are, that, that leads to the, um, the absence of loneliness, not the presence of loneliness. Dhruv Kalar from the New York Times uh, wrote a very good article called How Social Isolation is Killing Us. And this is what he says. My patient and I both knew he was dying. Not the long kind of dying that stretches on for months or years. He would die today, maybe tomorrow, and if not tomorrow, the next day. Was there someone I should call? Someone he wanted to see? Not a one, he told me. No immediate family, no close friends. And for me, the sadness of his death was surpassed only by the sadness of his solitude. I wondered whether his isolation was a driving force of his premature death, not just an unhappy circumstance. Social isolation is a growing epidemic one that's increasingly recognized as having dire physical, mental, and emotional consequences. Since the 1980s, the percentage of American adults who say they're lonely has doubled from 20% to 40%. A great paradox of our hyper-connected digital age is that we seem to be drifting apart. Increasingly, however, research confirms our deepest intuition. Human connection lies at the heart of human well-being. And it's up to all of us, doctors, patients, neighborhoods, and communities to maintain bonds where they're fading and to create ones where they haven't uh, existed. And so the church, more than any other institution, has a responsibility to maintain those bonds. And the reason for that is because we have a bond that is thicker than the blood of our ancestors. 
and that is the blood of Christ. And being unnoticed and unknown is one of the most dehumanizing things that a person can experience, which means that being noticed and being known then is one of the most humanizing things that a person can experience. And so one of the greatest gifts that we can give to one another is when we say, I see you, I know you, and I understand what you're going through. Now the question is, how do we do that when we are physically apart and socially isolated from one another? So let me give us one reason why we have to maintain these bonds. And let me give us a few reasons how we can maintain these bonds. So why should we maintain these bonds? If you take a look at Hebrews 10, 24, 25, it says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In verse 24 and 25, we see a phrase, one another, that is used twice. And if you take a look at the New Testament as a whole, the phrase one another is used over 60 different times. So a few examples of this, pray for one another, love one another, forgive one another. And the point of these one another statements is that, again, we are called to be social creatures. Uh, we are called to belong to one another. We were never meant to live on an island by ourselves. I like the way that Erin Davis describes the church when she says, you know what the church is? We are a big old plate of spaghetti noodles. We are intertwined, interconnected, and our lives should crisscross uh, with one another. And, but when you take a look at the context of this community, they were not one anothering. Um, their lives were not intertwined and interconnected with one another. And we know that because they were not meeting together. Uh, and the reason why uh, this audience, these group of people were not meeting together is because they were second generation Jewish Christians. And because they departed from their Judaic faith, uh, as we, if you read the rest of Hebrews 10, it says that these second generation Jewish Christians, they were experiencing persecution, they were being insulted, even their properties, it says, were being taken away from them. And because they were experiencing social and economic distress, a lot of these new Jewish Christians were backsliding back to their old way of life in Judaism. And so the writer says, do not give up meeting together. And what's so interesting about the word meeting is that it is the word synagogue. And it's not just the word synagogue, it's the word epi-synagogue. In other words, the writer is saying, this synagogue is more important than that old synagogue. This gathering is more important than that gathering that you once, uh, once were a part of. And the reason he's saying that is because he doesn't want them to slip back to their old ways of Judaism. And similarly, I would say that one of my fears as well is that we are not meeting in person together. And it's very possible for us as well, because we're not meeting together, for us to also backslide into our old way of life. And so whether that's functionally looking irreligious or secular or atheist, um, having your prayer life and, and reading the word go down the toilet, uh, we can easily slip back into our old ways. And so the question then is this, I mean, the reason why we're not meeting isn't because of persecution, it's because of a pandemic. 
And so the question then is, how do we meet together when we're not allowed to meet together? And what are some things that we can do to stay socially connected to one another, even though we're socially distant? And so if you take a look at verse 24 again, it says, let us consider. And that word consider, what that means is to pay attention to someone else's life and what they're going through, to place yourself, to examine their life and to place uh, yourself in their shoes. And probably one very, very relevant example of people that are good at considering are our nurses and attending physicians. Uh, what do nurses and attending physicians do? They go and make their rounds uh, where they're examining their patients, taking care of their patients, they're checking their vital signs, they're listening to their heartbeat, and they're making sure that their patients are getting the best care possible. Now imagine for a moment if we uh, the church and our city, if we took on that metaphor of being a nurse or an attending physician, where we viewed ourselves th through that lens and we were making our rounds, going to see how people are doing, checking their vital signs, their heartbeat, uh, making sure that their needs are being met. And that's what it means to be, uh, to, to consider other people's lives, to give them due consideration. Is, is by paying special, careful attention to them. You know, one common expression that I hear a lot of people make is, I'm looking for community. But community is not something that you look for. It's not something that you uh, discover. Rather, community is something that you build. And one of the first steps that you can take to building community is by being considerate of others, thinking about them, letting them know that you're aware of what they're going through. And so, Here's a question, who can you be considerate of today? Who in your circle, out of your circle, in your community group, in your life group, in our church, in our city, who can you be considerate of today? That's one way of still stay, meeting together and still being socially connected even though we're socially distant. There's a second way. And in verse 24, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. That word spur means to agitate, irritate, and provoke. Now, why do we have to be agitated, uh, irritated, and provoked? Well, the verse continues and it says that we are called to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, why do we have to be irritated toward love and good deeds? And the reason for that is because I think Augustine said it best when he said that our hearts are incurvates in say. Our hearts are curved in on itself. Our hearts basically look like the shape of a jumbo shrimp. And so the reason why we have to be agitated to love other people is because we're constantly in love with ourselves. Um, it's not in our nature to altruistically love other people the way that we love ourselves, hence being provoked and irritated to do so. And maybe I can give us a good example of this. Um, as a modern Western individual myself, I, I like individualism. Uh, there's a reason why I like Disney movies and Pixar movies because they place a high premium on individualism. And what is individualism? Individualism is you be you, uh, live your life, be true to yourself, do what makes you happy, uh, do, do whatever will fulfill your own dreams. 
and there's a lot of individual indiv a lot about individualism that I really really like but what's happening right now is that we're being trained almost overnight to make the shift from individualism to collectivism and in collectivism uh, you are just one small part of a greater whole in collectivism uh, there's a sense of social responsibility that you have um, that you need to have a sense of corporate solidarity and for individualists uh, collectivism can be very very difficult to adopt um, and this is one of the reasons why uh, social distancing is hard for us as a nation uh, because of our individuality so when you think about social distancing for example from an individualistic mindset the cost is very high to me because I have to stay home and the benefit is very low so because the cost is high and the benefit is low this is why a lot of our beaches were still packed uh, even just a week ago and we weren't really listening to um, uh, we didn't really have any sense of corporate solidarity and the reason again for that is because individuality sort of perpetuates this idea of not loving others but self-love and so because of that, what we need to do as a community is we need to agitate one another. We need to irritate one another, provoke one another to love and good deeds. And one way of doing that right now in our cultural moment is social media, telling people to stay at home or through social media, again, making people aware of new initiatives where you can help those that are sick and working on the front lines. Uh, one thing that you can do is to uh, let your friends know about the uh, COVID relief matching fund that we're doing with Hope for New York up to $20,000 and say, hey, do you want to chip in and um, uh, help us uh, with this great cause? And so what we constantly need to do is to irritate and agitate one another because in and of ourselves, we're not going to do it. A third way of um, uh, staying socially connected and, and um, having community with one another is not only to consider one another and to lovingly agitate one another, but it's also to encourage one another. As verse 25 says, uh, do, not give it, do not give up meeting together as someone in the habit of doing, but making sure you're encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. To encourage means, it, it, it really means, and this sounds very obvious, but to, to encourage means to put courage into someone, to come alongside of them, and when they're going through a difficult time to put courage into them, to, to lift them up. And uh, I have to say that there have been, I know that there's a lot of bad news that is out in our world right now, but there's a lot of good news as well. And one super encouraging story to me uh, happened last week for our community groups. And um, uh, for our community groups, we uh, zoomed in everyone and there was one person and I asked them permission to share this story uh, But they zoomed in from halfway across the world on their hospital bed with a laptop on their legs uh, Because they have COVID-19 and um, You know, they wanted to fulfill their their responsibility and role as our community group coordinator and so they zoomed in at like 7 or 7.30 in the morning their time just to meet with us in our community group. And I was hoping that it would be an opportunity to give them encouragement because of all that they've gone through the past week. 
Uh, but the truth of the matter is, I was the one that was really encouraged. Uh, because think about everything that they must have gone through, the feelings and emotions, the ups and downs over the past week or so. And to still zoom in at early in the morning uh, on their hospital bed, to not give up meeting with us, uh, but to be connected with us and to be a part of our community. I can't tell you how encouraged I was uh, from that story. And it seems to me if there is one thing that we all could use a little bit more of, it's encouragement. Um, I like the way that Sam Albury put it when he said, it's almost impossible to overstate the positive impact we can have on others if we come to church looking for ways to be an encouragement. I like, I like what Ray Ortland said when he said, no one you meet today or any day will be suffering from over-encouragement. And what the writer is saying here is that we need to encourage one another, spur one another on, consider one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. And he's talking about the return of Christ. So in other words, um, we don't have to agitate or encourage one another when we're in heaven. We're not going to need it anymore because that day, because that day eventually will come. But until then, we should do this. And similarly, I would say that when it comes to us, there is a day when this um, pandemic will be over. There will be a day when our social distancing will be over. But until then, we have a unique opportunity in our cultural moment right now to do everything that we can. So whether it's noontime prayer, I started out a workout channel on Slack. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I want to one another. We have a unique opportunity to do everything that we can to stay connected together because this is not going to last forever. But until then, we should do all that we can. And if we don't consider one another, if we don't spur one another on, if we don't encourage one another, uh, what will inevitably happen to each and every one of us because we're social creatures is that we will self-disintegrate. Um, Glenn Honberg uh, wrote an article uh, entitled Isolation Destroys Us. And he says in the article, for long-distance sailors, the severest difficulty by far is the soul-destroying loneliness. Journalist held hostage Terry Anderson wrote, I would rather have had the worst companion than no companion at all. Former American presidential candidate John McCain, who was held in solitary confinement as a prisoner of war, said, It crushes your spirit and weakens your resistance more effectively than any other form of mistreatment. Why does isolation from other people tear at the very fabric of our existence? Why does it seem to shred us from the inside out? Our self-existence is in relationship with others. Or to put it another way, it is paradoxically with others that an individual exists. Where there is no shared life, a single human life disintegrates from the inside out. This corresponds with what the Bible says about what it means to be human. When God made humanity, he made us to be an us. Now, if our lack of horizontal relationships with one another, if that leads to our self-disintegration, can you imagine what a lack of a vertical relationship with God will do to us? It will be more than just self-disintegration. It will be an experience of hell. But the good news of Christianity, the good news of the gospel, 
that will cure our loneliness is this. God doesn't wait for us to initiate a relationship with him. God doesn't wait for us to friend him. Rather, God initiates himself with us. God friends us. The prophet Isaiah says that Jesus' name is Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. And one of the reasons why God is with us is so that the loneliness and the isolation that we actually deserve, the alienation that we deserve for our individualistic, selfish love, um, the isolation and the separation from God that we deserve, he took on the cross for us. You know, COVID-19 really has a power of separating all of us from one another, but sin has the power of separating us from God. But because God doesn't want to be separated from us, but because he wants to enter into a relationship with us, uh, what happens on the cross is that Jesus experiences that isolation in our place. He experiences the loneliness in our place. And so think about it. Here is uh, the tripersonal God, perfect community and fellowship within himself. And yet when Jesus is dying on the cross, that community and that fellowship is broken. The Father turns his face away, and Jesus cries out to God the Father, but the Father doesn't even respond to him. And what Jesus is experiencing at that moment right now, with that moment on the cross, is, is he's experiencing the complete eternal alienation that we should have experienced so that we would be bridged and have access to God again. This is why the writer of Hebrews says to consider him who endured such opposition from evil men, to consider him and, and the mistreatment that he took in our place so that we can have access to God and so that we can be made whole. And because we're made whole, what that should lead us to then is bridging the separation that we have with one another as well. You know, one of the things that we do in the middle of our service, one of the things we used to do is a greeting time. And the reason why we do greeting time isn't just as a way of mixing up the service or as an icebreaker, uh, but historically that greeting time um, via hugging or shaking hands or doing the elbow thing, that, that greeting time was historically always called passing the peace. And this is something that the church has done for 2000 years in its liturgy. And whether you know it or not, the reason why we do this is you're making a theological statement. And what you're saying is this, I was once a stranger, alienated from God. I was once an outsider, but he welcomed me into the family. And as I shake your hand, I am similarly welcoming you into this family as well. That's what you're doing when you're uh, passing the peace to uh, one another. And I realize that we can't uh, do that right now, uh, but there are digital creative ways of welcoming one another uh, still uh, so that none of us feels like an outsider uh, at all. You know, our vision for this year was to grow smaller as a church uh, as we're growing bigger. And in God's unique providence, uh, we've grown a lot smaller than I anticipated. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm preaching alone by myself in front of my, my phone. But I do think that this is a, an opportunity for us as we have grown smaller. This is an opportunity for us for our bonds to also grow stronger. 
And I'm hoping that as we're experiencing this, that this will be a blessing in disguise for many of us in many different uh, ways. Uh, when you think about what makes a strong community, it isn't shared interests, a hobby, a favorite sports team, or anything like that. What makes a very strong community is when that community goes through an epic journey. They go through the fire, tribulation, suffering, and they come out of that journey victorious. And similarly, we're all on a journey right now, and I don't know how long this journey will go, and we're all experiencing trials and different hardships. But I'm hoping that as we get to the other side of this journey, when it's finally over, that our friendships will be as strong as Frodo and Samwise Genji, as Harry Potter and all of his friends, in addition to all of the epic you know, movies and stories we've heard of, of a group of individuals that were once strangers, but as a result of this journey are stronger than ever before. That is my hope for us. And I'm thankful for what we're experiencing right now. I'm excited. Uh, for what God has in store for our community ahead as well. Let's pray together.